Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible-based program just for women where seasoned Naomi's nurture young roots with real scriptural food for the spirit, encouraging and equipping your walk in biblical womanhood. Grab a Bible, pull up a chair, and invite your friends. There's plenty of room at Naomi's Table. Welcome to Naomi's Table, everyone. My name is Amy Spreeman, along with my co-hostess, Nancy LeMay. Hey, Nancy. Hey. Hey, today is Friday, and we're so happy about that because it's almost the weekend. Uh, but, you know, we've got some work to do today. What we do here at Naomi's Table is uh, we talk about biblical womanhood, uh, kind of a lost art. We talk about things like, well, submission and grace and things like that and, and what those really mean. And uh, we always go to the Bible. We, we tend to uh, not do other people's books so much because we want really for all of us as women of God to be in his word that first and foremost that is so incredibly important and you know what ladies you can trust God's word to be true every single time it's never false it's the thing that you need to understand and know hide it in your heart so that when other teachings come along and you're not quite sure if they're true or not you can use the Bible to say you know what this doesn't quite line up so uh, we want to encourage you to know that that so well that uh, it is hidden in your heart and it does comfort you because it is the way that we know who Jesus Christ is, our Lord and Savior. All right, here's what we're doing today. Uh, Today is our Flashback Friday episode, and uh, so what we're going to do is replay a first segment episode that uh, perhaps you haven't heard before. Uh, We're going to dig back into our archives and present that, and then in about 20 minutes, we're going to be back, aren't we, Nancy? You betcha, with our live Bible study. Well, not quite live, but we are in the book of Romans with teacher Beth Seifert. This is going to be the next lesson that we're going to be covering. And after Beth shares with us what we are learning today, Amy and I will talk about what we've heard and what is the biggest lesson we can take out of it. You know, she always has such good questions at the very end and it really is cause for thought and, and sometimes our toes do get stuck. On. Well, especially with the book of Romans, it's such an incredible story. And you know, all of our lessons are stored uh, right on our website if you'd like to take a look at those. Uh, they're all archived for you at naomistable.com. And by the way, if you have a question for us, you can email us anytime at connect at naomistable.com or just join our Facebook or Twitter page and get a hold of us that way. All right, so it's time for our, our Flashback Friday episode. We'll be back in about 20 minutes in real time time. Enjoy the program. Hey, today we are talking about modesty. Now, you know we've talked about that before, but you know there has to be a a noticeable significant shift in things when mainstream discussions center around a decline in decorum. Well, we're going to talk about that today and uh, dip into our email bag to read your emails. And if you'd like to join the table and connect with us, you can do so on our Facebook page or just email us at connect at naomistable.com and uh, also at our website, naomistable.com, you can find all the information to join another group. Uh, This one is ladies only, a Google Plus community page. But guys, if you want to join us on Facebook, you can find us there as well. Uh, Nancy, what I thought we'd do is start the morning out with an email that came to us. Uh, This is from a a woman named Angie who writes, Dear Amy and Nancy, there is a woman who works for me who came into work very upset. She shared with me that there is a newer, and I say newer because it's the first I've heard of it, it's a website called Meet Me. 
Apparently, this is a website that's a dating site for teens. I can't even begin to understand why there is a dating website for teens. Teens have more social outlets than adults do. And what's behind this website truly angers and saddens me. And the reason that uh, this woman was so upset was because her daughter was taking nude photos of herself and sharing them with guys she meets on the website and in turn receiving these same types of photos from them. Her daughter made it seem like it's a normal thing and that many teens are doing it. Well, her daughter is 13 going on 14, and she made it sound like the pictures were being sent more in a private message format on the website. But either way, this is a tragic story and scary. And she writes, how do these kids even know if they really are talking to other teens? This opens up a door for predators and so many other problems. And she ends it with saying, Nancy, I don't know if all or even what percentage of kids are doing this, what she found her daughter doing, but I don't believe she is the only one. Technology has its upside, but it also has a very dark side. And on that dark side, it's really hard to fight that. We're fighting this invisible enemy. Thank God he is on our side. And she said, thank you so much for uh, discussing this difficult topic that we all need to be aware of. Angie, thank you for writing to us. And uh, Nancy, I know that this is something that's not new um, the Meet Me website is one of many that cater to teens where girls really do send pictures of themselves uh, to strangers. And it's fascinating to me, as much as our kids, our teens are into social media, they're still so ignorant mm -hmm. of the fact that once a picture is out there on the internet, it's yeah. there. And to just say, oh no, I'm just sending it privately to this one guy, like he's not going to share it. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is guess what? If she's 13 or 14, when he is sharing it, he's guilty of child pornography. He, he sure is. And, and I will say also, um, this is something that uh, is being touted in our current culture as normal behavior. Uh, you've heard of uh, sexting before for where uh, teen girls and even preteen girls uh, p take pictures with their smartphones or their uh, their phones and uh, text them to boys, text them to other people that some of them they know, some of them they don't. But again, you're right, Nancy, once those leave the telephone, they're there forever. And there's no pulling that back. And this girl is only 13 or 14, yeah. and she obviously is naive in the workings of the world yeah. and how things are. And I would indeed be very surprised surprised if the people she is sending these pictures to are indeed teen mm -hmm. boys, probably are sexual predators that are going on these websites uh, to get these girls to do this. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing that fascinates me is that there seems to be, and I know this is actually a proven scientific fact, that in teens, the last thing to develop in the brain <laughs> yes, is the, brain. the section <laughs> that considers consequences yeah. of actions, that that's the last thing to develop. And that's why the Jewish way of raising a boy up, uh, 13, he does the bar mitzvah, but he still, while considered a man at that point and able to make his own decisions, he still is under the guidance of his council of elders mm -hmm. uh, until he is 18. And even after age 18, yeah. he still seeks their advice until he's actually 30. 
is when they're yeah. actually considered ready to to go and teach others. Yeah, secular science has shown us to uh, brain waves, brain development. Our adolescents' brains really don't mature all the way to adulthood until age twenty five. So that explains a lot. Yeah, uh, sure, surely it does. But. So at age thirteen and fourteen, she is doing things now that could haunt her for the rest of her life. Most likely will. And yeah. there have actually been a lot of. Uh, especially teen girls that have committed suicide because they sent a picture like this to a boy they thought was their boyfriend, Mm. uh, you know, who they were dating and the boyfriend ended up sharing it with the entire football team or something Mm. like that. And so devastated, so harassed by all the other boys in school that, that uh, she actually committed suicide. And this story has happened over and over and over again because these girls just are oblivious to the ways of the world, the way things really are. Well, and the Bible has a lot to say about purity and modesty. Um, However, I'm a little concerned about the mom who came into work upset, and we don't know her story. uh, uh, Angie does, but um, we don't know if she has uh, been a parent who would take away phone privileges, uh, shut down the internet. I mean, drastic times call for drastic measures, and it's time not to be the friend but the mom, and not to be a friend but the dad. You know, time to take over. And uh, you know, obviously when the kids are, are showing immaturity like that, we need to show maturity for them. Yes. And I think that that is a pervasive problem in our society. And before Mike and I became Christians, I would notice how he would not really be a father to those kids. He wouldn't really parent them because he was so afraid that, oh, being from a divorced background, they aren't going to want to see me anymore. So Mm. he would just roll over to them no matter what they wanted. And they were eight and four at the time. Like they're going to know what's best for themselves. (laughs) And I'd never had kids. And just using basic management principles, I thought you need to treat them this way. And The answer I would get back is, well, since you're not a parent, you don't understand because he was so wrapped up emotionally in this. He wanted to be their friend instead of their dad and put limits on them and boundaries on them and discipline them. And I, I know that it's not just a factor in split families that you have this issue. There are lots of people out there that are struggling in a world that says anything goes to these kids and everything is permissible. They are really struggling to keep those boundaries, uh, that safety net around their kids of discipline. Yeah, I, I agree, Nancy. Um, want to bring this around to another story that uh, we shared this on our Facebook page uh, for Naomi's Table very recently, and it got a a lot of comments, and I'd like to put it out here on the news today because it really demonstrates how pervasive this uh, this type of immodesty is, even in the church, and about mm. a pastor who took a stand. And, and let me read this to you. Uh, Nancy and I'll take turns here, but this is from a report in the AmericanPreachers.com, and a, a segment of the story goes like this. There was a wedding scheduled for Saturday, August 10th, this is just, just this year, and it was supposed to be at 3 o'clock. Now, an hour before the wedding at two o'clock, the pastor came and greeted the bride and groom when he noticed the bride's dress. According to the bride's mother, the pastor jokingly asked, well, where's the other half of the dress? Well, not thinking anything of it, the family laughed it off and continued applying makeup to the bride. 
Well, around 2.30, now we're half an hour before the wedding, the pastor asked the leader of the church to go and ask the bride and the family about the other part of the dress again. And uh, the bride informed the leader, well, this is it. So the leader came back to the pastor, you know, she came back to the, and said, uh, the pastor informed them personally that the bride and groom at separate times, uh, he said he cannot perform the wedding with the bride in that dress. Now the pastor told the bride she would have to cover up her uh, breast area and find a way to add length to the dress. And the bride informed the pastor there was no way to accomplish this with so short of a notice and that she has to wear the dress. Well, then the pastor informed her that he would not be able to perform the ceremony. And then he walked back into the office. Now, was this pastor whose ministry is only 14 months old and who runs a storefront church out of line for ruining this couple's wedding day? Or did he take a stand for modesty that deserves applause? That depends on who you ask. And that's according to this article. So we're going to read some of these. But Nancy, both you and I have had a chance to see this uh, wedding dress. Uh, there are pictures of it online. Uh, we chose not to share them on our website because they're just, it's going to be a stumbling block. Um, it, it was, uh, well, you described the dress. You, you Very it. short. Very short. Very tight. Uh, cut down to yeah. the navel, yeah. <laughs> and um, you would expect to see someone in this dress who is going to like the Grammys awards ceremony, or um, maybe well, <laughs> I won't say, but it, it's, or on a Las Vegas strip. Uh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> it was, it, that was closer to what I was going to say. But but yes, it was a. Um, I, I couldn't even share the photo online, and that was going to happen in a church. Yeah. And the thing is, is, uh, and you actually brought this up as we were discussing it ahead of time. And we don't know the situation with this couple. We don't know if they went to premarital counseling mm. with this pastor first, or if they just asked if he would marry them. And he's like, sure, great. Mm -hmm. You know, with a 14 month old church that meets in a storefront, yeah. then you, you might have um, people come in who have not allow the Holy Spirit yet to transform them. True. You, yeah, we into don't the know. Im exactly. Start transforming them in the image of Christ. So they, they could have been members, they could have been saved, uh, but maybe the Holy Spirit hadn't gotten to this part yeah, in the them yet, yeah, right uh, in convicting them. Or you made a great point. You said, well, non-Christians want to get married in a church all the time. Yeah. And maybe they just wanted to get married in church, so find this pastor. Probably none of the other churches in town would have married them, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, so they find this pastor who agrees to do the ceremony in the church. Yeah. And it's not until—and some of the comments we'll get to, some of them are like, you know, well, why do you wait till the wedding day, yada, yada. He didn't know. Yeah. He didn't know. the first know. time he had ever seen yeah. her. Yeah. Uh, until that day, even if he had done premarital counseling, he did not know what she was going to wear yeah. until he saw her an hour before the ceremony. Now, I will say if, if there is, I, I commend him yeah. for the courage that it took for him to call off the wedding, yeah. even at that last minute, because at this point, it's probably quarter to to three when the wedding is supposed to take place. But if I have any complaint, it was that at two o'clock when he saw her an hour before the wedding and he jokingly asked, where's the other half of the dress? Yeah. That when the family laughed it off and continued applying makeup at that point at two o'clock, an hour yeah. before the wedding, he should have said, no, I'm serious. She cannot walk down the aisle like that. You have to cover the breast. You have yeah. to add length to 
the dress if you expect me to marry you. So I, that's my only wish is that at that point he had had the courage to say, no, I'm not joking. I'm serious. I can't do this if you're going to look like that. I I have to agree with you, Nancy, you know, but again, um, try to put yourself in his place. The pressure's on. He's been there 14 months. He did go back and think about it. And that's when he sent the, uh, uh, the other person to go uh, talk to the bride and who was a woman. Correct. Yes. She was was a woman woman leader in the church. Yeah. So let's look at what some of the other people had to say who commented on this article. Yeah, And this is in the article. So, so these are comments actually from people who were there. All right. Uh, Someone named Kim, don't know if that's a man or a woman said, I am sad. Sad for the bride who wanted a church wedding in a hoochie mama dress, <laughs> but even sadder for the pastor who missed his teachable moment. And I'm not quite sure what, what Kim, whether it's a he or she, means by that, because I thought he did make it a teachable yeah. moment, although a little bit late when yeah. he said you have to cover the breast, you have to add length to this dress. So. Well, here's, here's what a man wrote, uh, and, and this is, again, part of the article. Uh, can you wear this dress on the Senate floor? Can you be a doctor and wear this dress at work? Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, then you cannot wear this to church as well. Just like the world has its proper decorum, so does the Church of Christ, said Marvin Pierre. Mm. Here's another question, and <laughs> interestingly, it's from a man named Marlon, and he wrote in, that was foolish of the pastor. Get out of the way and let somebody else do the ceremony. You don't oh. wait till the wedding day to embarrass people in front of their family and friends. They should sue him. It's none of his business. Well, I mean, for one thing, he didn't know until the wedding day yeah. what she was going to dress like. And isn't it interesting that comment comes from a man? Well, are we here to please men? Or <laughs> we know how the Bible verse goes. But uh, another one is, uh, now this one is from Asoza. I'm not quite sure if this is male or female. Um, quote, I believe this pastor did the right thing. He wasn't rude. He gave them multiple chances to add to the dress his right to honor God the way he sees fit. People come to church with different ideas, but purposeful pornography should never be celebrated. I agree. Amen. He hits the nail on the head there. Now, here's another comment from a man named Lawrence. The pastor's fashion sense overrode God's will. Mm. There is nothing in scripture that mandates or governs what the bride shall not wear to her own wedding. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What about women should dress modestly, regardless of whether it's their wedding or not? Uh, final comment from the article is, I respect him for standing up for the reverence of God and the sanctity of marriage. Her display of expression doesn't trump the holiness of what God is expressing in marriage. And that was a man named Dean Boyd. So these are people from around the nation who've uh, commented on the story, and that's from americapreachers.com. We can post the article. In fact, we did on our Facebook page if you'd like to go see it. But uh, we did share this on our Facebook page, like I said, and a lot of you had commented in. And uh, and here's what some of the sisters in the uh, Naomi's Table group had to say. Uh, Anne said, I believe the pastor did the right thing. If you want to be married in a church, you should be a Christian. And if you are a Christian, you should follow the word of God, which tells women to dress modestly. This dress is anything but modest and not fitting to be worn in any church for any reason. The bride should be ashamed, and so should her family for even thinking about it. And Nancy, we were talking off air a little bit as we were preparing, and uh, you were talking about the conviction that should have happened uh, if she was a Christ follower. Yes, and in fact, Kelly uh, wrote in on our webpage, I don't believe a Christian woman should wear this dress outside the house at all 
only the husband should be allowed to see her in it. So it's okay to wear it around the house for him, but his eyes only. Yes. And I, too, believe the pastor did the right thing. We should demand respect in our father's house. Yeah. And many of you said kudos to the pastor. We need more pastors such as this one. Praise God for men like this that still stand up for what is right. Um, another one, uh, this is from Enid who wrote, uh, she wasn't wearing a wedding dress. Well, that's true. It, obviously it was not a, a cocktail. It looked like a yeah, cocktail dress to me. Sort of, but not, yeah, I wouldn't wear that to a, one of those parties either. But you know what? Here's, here's an idea. If you're going to uh, insist on dressing that way, don't get married in a church. Go to a beach, go to Vegas, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, if we're going to, churches are for church weddings for Christians. They really yeah. are. Yeah. I, I could definitely see someone getting married at one of those little chapels in Vegas in that dress. Yeah, I suppose. I, I would think that that probably uh, would be something that would be very common there. But in a church, I mean, yeah. who in their right mind would wear a dress like that in a church? Mm. Well, um, here's one from uh, Joe. Let's let's go to a man who's on Naomi's table. And he said, uh, you can come up with a lot of very clever comments to justify being naked in public, showing breasts and thighs, midriff, so forth, the chest and back are naked regardless of clever comments about God looking the other way because the ends justify the means. Thank you, Joe, for writing in. Appreciate that. You know, we had a situation at a, a church I used to go to where there was a married couple that came and the woman did dress very inappropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thigh-high boots, oh. really, really short mini skirts, low cut, lots of cleavage. But this was Even, the bride. No, this is just just any church. church. Okay, sure, a bare midriff, things like that. And uh, the pastor did address it with them. Uh, some of the women in church were complaining because their husbands might stumble, yeah. uh, be led to stumble and everything because of it. Now, that's no excuse. Yeah. It's still the husband's, you know, the other husband's responsibility to not sin like that. But, but still, so the pastor addressed it with them and the husband actually said he liked other men looking at mm. his wife. So they ended up leaving the church and going to another one of the mega churches in town. Uh, wow. And yeah, and and it's it's interesting how he was enjoying voyeuristically the the attention his wife was getting, almost like that made him feel like more of a man. Uh, I think at that point, that's when the elders need to step in and uh, uh, go to him first and then bring the wife in. But yeah, they there needed to be some counseling there, some words, but... Uh, uh, you know, that might not happen in every church. And so uh, one of the things that we're seeing, one of the trends that we're seeing is very scantily uh, dressed people in churches. And uh, I was at a church one time, this was when we lived in Florida, and uh, a, a pastor actually noticed the girls, teen girls in the front row. They were sitting in the front row. They were kind of you know, chewing their gum and they had some uh, halter tops on. And that's what we wore back in the... I, I didn't, but <laughs> that's what the style back in the day. And uh, the pastor stopped the service and said, girls, I want you to go put something on right now. And he made the girls get up, march back. I, I rem- This just came to me. I just remembered this. And uh, quite a few people applauded the pastor for doing that. And so the mm. girls were shamed as they should have been. And, you know, my attitude on this has changed. Um, I have gotten to feel that it's actually a matter of how others focused are you. Are you truly loving your your neighbor, you're loving your brother and your sister as yourself? Because 
Christ tells us this is how the world will know we are his is yeah. by our love for each other and how loving for how loving are you for your brother if you are dressing in a way that could lead them to stumble? Mm, that's a very good question. Ladies, we are going to uh, leave that here because we're, we're up against a break and we need to get ready for our Bible study. But the reason we bring these things up is because we do need to get back to this counter-revolution of being biblical women and uh, focusing on purity, modesty, all of those things, submissiveness, respect, those things that our culture is not. We need to be set apart for the Lord. Well, that was our Flashback Friday episode recorded a little bit earlier in the year. Uh, We hope you enjoyed that. And uh, now what we're going to do in real time here is get ready for our Bible study with our teacher, Beth Seifert. We are in the Book of Romans, so stick around. We will be right back. We equip women around the world to nurture others with the word. Want to partner with Naomi's Table? Consider being a business partner. Details at naomistable.com. It's time to pull up a chair and open your Bible for today's Bible study segment of Naomi's Table. Gather around and let's begin. Well, welcome back, everyone. We are here with our Bible study teacher, Beth Seifert, and we are opening up to the book of Romans. Beth, thank you so much for teaching us today. Let's begin. Hey there, Amy. Well, yesterday we talked about homosexuality in the context of Romans, and today we're going to pick back up in Romans chapter 1. We're going to reread verses 24 through 32, and we're going to see what other sins that Paul brings up to draw attention to here. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 1. We'll be in verses 24 through 32. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Okay, so remember yesterday we discussed how, as the people exchanged the truth of God for a cheap lie, a cheap imitation, God gave them over to their shameful covetousness, gave them over to their desires, and the results were horrible. Today we're going to pick back up basically in verse 28. Furthermore, They didn't even think it worthwhile to retain any knowledge of God, so God gave them over to completely depraved, unrestrained minds. And, without that restraining hand of God, they've done so much more of what ought not to be done. 
Paul tells us that the people were given over to every kind of wickedness that they could think up in their depraved minds. He lists a few here, and this is not intended to be a comprehensive list. So don't look for your own pet sin and go, oh, phew, it's not on the list. I'm good. Okay, envy. Envy, again, is coveting, discontentment, longing for something to the point of idol worship, idolatry. Murder. Well, we know what murder done to the body looks like. That is, one person killing another person. Murder. But remember, Jesus took this a step further and told us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. This is a big deal. Jesus takes hatred very seriously, and he takes cursing of others very seriously, too, equating it with murder. Strife. The root word for this describes it as discord or dissension. Merriam-Webster defines it as bitter, sometimes violent conflict or dispute, or exertion for superiority. Yikes! This is not just a disagreement, but a disagreement that lends itself to bitterness and a desire to be right more than a desire for anything else. Remember, any time our desire is to be right instead of for God's will to be done, our priorities are messed up. God's will may be for you not even to argue with someone, even if you are right. But if you have your agenda so firmly placed that you can't hear his voice, you're going to cause more strife. When I think of strife in today's vernacular, I think of drama. Deceit. The meaning for this Greek word implies a desire for fraud, cunning, slyness, and entrapment. This word means intentionally misrepresenting truth in order to achieve your own goal or desire. It's lie, cheat, and steal to get whatever you want. Maliciousness. Well, unhelpfully, this is the only time this form of this word is used in the Bible. However, just a sentence back, we see malice, as Paul generally describes these people. This seems to describe a disposition for maligning, or for causing, or intending to cause harm to others, often with a vicious will. Gossips. A gossip is one who habitually reveals personal or sensational facts about others. What is the motive of one who gossips? To know. To have that information that you can pass on to others to be the first to spread the news, good or bad. The desire is not to have the information and not share it, but to share it and spread it, regardless of whether it hurts anyone else or not. Slanderers. A slanderer is one who intentionally makes a false spoken claim about someone else that causes people to have a bad opinion of someone else. The goal of a slanderer is to hurt someone else, to damage their character or reputation, often with the added goal of appearing to have been victimized or to be morally superior to the one that they are slandering. Haters of God. That's pretty self-explanatory. Those who do not love God hate Him, hate everything about Him. And remember what Jesus said about those who hate their brothers? Insolent. An insolent person is one who is overbearing or violent. Again, the focus is on self here. The desire to please oneself, to get what you want at the expense of others. Your opinions, your wants, your desires are what matter most. 
No one else matters above feeding your own desires. Haughty or arrogant. A haughty attitude is one that is designed to exaggerate one's own worth. A haughty person believes they are better, smarter, or more important than other people. Again, it's that self-focused superiority. Boastful. An attitude of self-pride and a feeling that you deserve respect from others. Again, often because you feel you are more important than others. Inventors of evil. Seriously, they invent new ways to do evil. They create it. They look for it. They're bent on doing evil and the normal evil isn't evil enough. So they take it all a step or ten further. Disobedient to parents. I have to admit, I kind of love that this one's in here because I'm a parent and, you know, can use that on my kids. But the truth is that the command to obey your parents was the first command that was given with a promise that it may go well with you in your life. There is a responsibility to being a parent that we may not exasperate our children, that we may not overburden them with a list of rules, but that we may have grace and that we may show them that grace that we have been shown as we discipline and as we train up our children in the way that they should go. Still, the command for children is to obey their parents and to respect and honor them. And this is a command that is not given with an age limit. Even if you have a parent who is abusive or who is hurtful um, and is, you're not able to have the kind of relationship that you want to have with that parent, there are still ways to be honoring to that parent to obey this command without putting yourself or your family in danger. So keep that in mind. Foolish. This word carries with it the idea of a debased mind, one without understanding, senseless, reckless, perverse, a lack of common sense, and no desire for common sense. Those people who think they are indestructible and engage in frighteningly risky behavior. Faithless. Unable to be trusted. Undutiful and bound by no covenant. Untrustworthy. Master of their own destiny and domain and answerable to no one. Heartless. Devoid of natural or instinctive affection. Without love. Caring for no one but themselves. Lack of affection even for family or children. Ruthless. Uncompassionate. Cruel and merciless. Taking pleasure from someone else's pain. Look at how many of these characteristics that directly describe a desire not just to please themselves, but a desire to deliberately cause harm to others. In giving the people over to their own depraved hearts, they continue in their sin, poisoning everyone and everything around them. The intent behind these characteristics is not to help. It is self-seeking, and it is harmful. Intentionally, not accidentally, it is knowingly depriving someone else of something that they may already have in order to have what you want at all costs. And here's what just makes my heart ache in verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who do them. They know what they are doing is sinful. They know what they are doing is harmful. They know that the punishment is death, and yet that has zero impact on their actions. They not only continue to do these things, they applaud those who do them. Part of that may be because they want to feel justified in their actions. 
How better to justify one's behavior than to hang around with others who do the same thing? They won't call you out on what you're doing. They'll join right in. Part of that may be because misery loves company, and as they wallow in their unrighteousness, they can complain and be bitter and angry with others who are full of bitterness and anger. Ladies, we all sin. We all do it. And when we come before God and ask Him for forgiveness, are we actually asking for forgiveness, or are we asking to be excused? C.S. Lewis said, I find that when I am think I am asking God to forgive me, I am often in reality, unless I watch myself very carefully, asking Him to do something quite different. I am asking Him not to forgive me, but to excuse me. But there is all the difference in the world between forgiving and excusing. Forgiveness says, Yes, you have done this thing, but I accept your apology. I will never hold it against you, and everything between us two will be exactly as it was before. If one was not really to blame, then there is nothing to forgive. In that sense, forgiveness and excusing are almost opposites. So here are my questions for us today. Are you convinced of your need to be forgiven, or are you looking to be excused by God? If you're coming before God blithely asking Him, Forgive me of my sins today. Chances are good you're really saying, I'm not really to blame for my sins because I didn't recognize them as sins, so you can't hold that against me. Instead, we need to come before Him and say, Father, show me my errors. Show me where I have sinned against you today. Show me how I have failed and convince me of my guilt. Help me to repent, to agree with you that those are sins, and to turn around and go the other way toward you. Forgive me, Father. I know I need to come before him, before God with that attitude daily, but I also know that I far more often come before Him, asking Him to excuse me. We need to take the step today to get in line with God and His will. Are you ready to take that step? Well, thank you so much, Beth. And remember, ladies, all of the notes and these 10-minute podcasts can be found at naomistable.com under the Bible Studies tab. We will take a break and be right back to talk more about today's lesson. Naomi's Table is 100% listener-supported, serving women around the world thanks to our listeners' generous gifts. Go to our website, naomistable.com, and click on the support button. And thank you for equipping us to equip women. The food is ready. Now, back to Naomi's Table. Well, welcome back, ladies. What we're going to do right now is talk a little bit about what you heard in that segment prior, which was our Bible study lesson. And today we are in the book of Romans. This was lesson number five. If you're looking for the notes, uh, the study guide will be titled, But All the Other Sins Too. Very apt title for this, Nancy. And of course, ladies, you can just go to our website and download the study guide questions as well as that 10-minute podcast that you just heard. Nancy, let's talk about this and how these can apply to us today. Well, it is very true, isn't it, that once you willingly and willfully embrace a lie rather than believing the truth of God, you really do end up going down this slope that leads you into all sorts of other things. You know, it's like, you know, once you cross that line, Mm -hmm. it's like you think, oh, well, it's 
no big deal anymore. So you do tend to get into more and more and more sins and you get deeper and deeper and deeper into those sins you already yeah. are doing. Yeah, I agree, Nancy. And and we all have been and can still be trapped into that. Um, you know, the enemy is very powerful, um, not as powerful as our all powerful God, of course, but uh, the enemy knows our triggers. He knows uh, what it is that will take us to stumble and uh, believe in some kind of crazy lie. And, and just when we think we've got it all figured out and, and mastered, He'll come up with another crafty little lie. Um, fortunately for us, uh, we have a Savior who tells us the truth in God's Word, and so we can uh, look to that to uh, to really dispel these lies. Of course, when we're not in the Word as much as we should be, uh, boy, you know, we could believe anything, can't we? Yes, and that's actually the problem. You look at how much God has been removed from our society. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be pretty much most everybody went to church on Sunday, you know, 50, 60 years ago. It used to be that the Bible was welcome in the classroom. You know, you think back to Thomas Jefferson, and he said there are two books that should be in the classroom at all times and taught from exclusively, and one of them was the Bible. So you look at how far we've come from there, where you can't even mention God. And not only that, but students who bring the Bible in for their private reading times are told that they can't have it there on school property because it's government property. Yeah, I was interviewing somebody last week and he was saying that uh, everything changed for him uh, with one of his, uh, I believe, high school teachers. And he, he asked the class, now this is quite a while ago, but he asked the class, now how many of you are Christians? And there are maybe five people who raised their hand including uh, this young boy. And uh, then he said, well, he smiled, the teacher did, and he said, you know, um, you probably won't be a Christian when you're done with this course. And it was a science course, but uh, he was bent, uh, this professor was, on taking those kids away from their parents' archaic faith. And we, of course, now hear that, and it's very common. Back then, it wasn't very common. So this boy went home and told his parents, hey, I'm not a Christian anymore, and and by the way, your beliefs are antiquated, and uh, I'm I'm going to go find the answer in science. And so that's where we are today. But, you know, this this lesson tells us um, God has the answers. And in fact, they're written on our hearts. Um, you know, the book of Romans is very clear about that, that there's a, a long laundry list of sin. And I really like how Beth pointed out that, you know, just because you don't find yours on the list uh, doesn't mean it's not there. I don't know. Looking at this list, how can you not find yours (laughs) on the list? I mean, looking at some of these, envy, coveting, you know, I mean, how often do we look at something and say, oh, I want that? You know, every time I go shopping, I see stuff that I want, but I don't need. Yeah. Every every time I go on, on Pinterest and look at the house design stuff, I go, ooh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I have to remind yep. myself, you know what, um, my heart uh, is not supposed to be focused on the things of this world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she talked about murder, and we have to remember Jesus's definition of murder being just merely hating someone. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about strife, how that is such a desire to be right and exert your will over others and convince others. I don't know about you ladies, but I have an awfully hard time admitting I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, 
Do you remember Fonzie and the old Happy oh, Days shows? Yes. It's like, you know, when I when I'm caught dead to rights, then maybe I'll admit it. And even then, it's kind of like I was. You couldn't quite say the word, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> but we do. We we do tend to always want to be right, and it's very hard for us to have the humility to admit when we might not be right, let alone absolute wrong. Yeah, you know, the thing that Beth asked um, that really got me was, are we asking for forgiveness or are we asking to be excused? Mm. Ouch. You know, I and I have to think back, you know, when, when I've repented, have I really repented or, you know, something else? Am I, am I trying to find an excuse and make uh, God and, and his law, his holiness fit into my life? And that ought not to ever be. Mm-hmm. Think back to the Garden of Eden when uh, Adam took the fruit from Eve and then they realized they were naked. They were hiding in the bushes. Oh. They had sewn together loincloths out of leaves. And uh, God comes walking and he says, Adam, where are you? Well, he already knows where he is. He already knows yeah. what they've done. And uh, when he confronts Adam about it, he says, this woman that you gave me... <laughs> Led me to eat the apple. So, not apple, led me to eat the fruit. So, he's blaming God. He's blaming the woman and he's blaming God for his sin, his willful choice to disobey God. And how often do we excuse what we've done with, it's not my fault, so therefore there's nothing to forgive. You know, repentance is such a gift, but it does have to be a humbling experience and so few of us want to be humbled and it doesn't specifically say pride on this list but when you look (laughs) at haughty and all these others it's dancing all around it it sure is and i think pride is something that really um takes us down more than anything else yeah, you know, and I also noticed on the list, uh, there's, there's a, a huge list of them, as Beth read out, but disobedient to parents. Wow. So so it even mm. tells us that even our youngest, and of course, and you go to a, a toddler throwing a tantrum on the floor, um, that that's sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it it amazes me when people have that humanistic worldview of we're all basically good. Yeah. And that's where you get the mistakes of thinking, oh, well, we just need to dialogue with those mm-hmm. Islamist extremists over there. We just need to um, appease them and then they'll like us. And there's no conception of the basic evil nature of man, no conception of the wickedness and depravity of man. And it amazes me because anytime you see a little two-year-old who you ask them if they ate the donut and the powdered sugar is all over their face and hands, (laughs) and they'll lie to your face and say no. And we don't have to teach our children to lie. It's innate in them. They know how to lie, and they know self-preservation above all else. And, And when you look at those tendencies... You know, how can you say man is basically good? Yeah. I, I remember going on a camping trip and we had closed the kitchen, if you will. We, we said, okay, no more food now. We're all going to get into our sleeping bags. And um, I, I heard my son, um, very young, I can't even remember how old he was, but I heard the crinkling of candy wrappers coming from his sleeping bag. And he said, you know, I said to his name, I, I, you know, I said, are, are, do you have candy? Oh, no. And then I heard the, the hard candy clicking around on his teeth and, 
oh boy, no, you don't have to teach them. <laughs> they know, they know, because that's uh, what we're born into. We are born into that because of the sin, the fall of Adam. And uh, what the Bible is teaching us in this lesson, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So what this is telling me is, um, you know, the go along with the crowd uh, wink and nod mentality when other people are sinning and we say nothing. We don't do anything to help. We're approving of that. Yes. And that, I think, has become our society today. Rampant sin because of the uh, lack of any evidence of God. I mean, they don't don't want any knowledge of God. They just, they want it completely removed from our presence. And then those of us who do have knowledge of God sitting around doing nothing because we are more concerned with the opinion of man instead of God. Amen. Well, listen, we're going to have to leave it here for right now. A lot of time has gone by, but there's so much more to this lesson. And I highly encourage you to go grab the notes. They're on our website. Uh, Boy, you'll be all over the Bible looking around at these verses. All right. So when we come back, Nancy's going to wrap up the program with some scripture. We hope you can stick around. We'll be right back. We equip women around the world to nurture others with the word. Want to partner with Naomi's Table? Consider being a business partner. Details at Naomi'sTable.com. No junk food served here. Now, back to Naomi's Table. Welcome back, ladies, for our final segment. We're going to wrap up the program today. Nancy's got her Bible open way in the beginning. Looks like you're in Genesis. I am. We're going to go back to when this all started. We're going to go to the fall. That's in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be against your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground from out of which you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Mm. Nancy, that's where it all began, and we can't escape that dust. We cannot escape the sin that came into the world, except through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid it all and whose blood covered it all. So if we believe on him and in him, if we believe in his shed blood for our uh, sins being forgiven, then we are saved from that curse. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for joining us. We hope that this has blessed you and inspired you to be in your Bible even more. And until tomorrow, have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you for joining us today at Naomi's Table. We encourage you to head over to naomistable.com for resources, articles, Bible study guides, and much more. Until next time, be equipped and encouraged in God's Word. 